As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Every time we talk about well, anything really to do with the 2024 MotoGP season build-up, we end up straying into the 2025 rider market instead. And frankly, fair enough on our part, because with 18 of the 22 riders on the grid out of contract at the end of the year, a six-time MotoGP champion sat on a one-year satellite team deal poised to receive bigger offers, a host of rising stars desperate for factory team contracts, and two past champions currently stuck at struggling fallen giants. The potential for another seismic shakeup is absolutely undeniable. So this week on the Race MotoGP podcast, we are making no apologies whatsoever for going 100% all in on the 2025 silly season and we're going to do it in characteristically gung-ho and mockable fashion by coming up with a very early prediction for next year's entire grid lineup so here are the rules we'll be working our way down through the through the factory teams first in order of the 2023 championship simon patterson valentin harunchi are here and they will each pitch the lineup they think that team is most likely to have in 2025 not who they would necessarily pick but what they think is going to happen and I'm Matt Beer, and in my role as host, I get the fun job of adjudicating and deciding who's made the most persuasive case and using that to piece together our 2025 lineup. Uh, we've done this once before, uh, around about two years ago now, we predicted the 2023 MotoGP rider lineup. Do you guys remember how that went? Oh, yeah, 100% hit rate, right? <laughs> like, got all of them? I, I was just going to say that I presume badly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I checked again tonight. We got, we got it 50% right. And I don't think, considering that we did that before Suzuki pulled out and threw a few curveballs in, I was about in, to say, I don't think that's a bad effort. Yeah. Did we get any like any of the unlikely ones, like of the left field ones, or did we just get the people sticking around? So we got Joran Mir at Honda. I was quite pleased with that. The one I was really pleased with was we got Raul Fernandez at RNF. Now we thought that would be because RNF would be running Yamaha's, and that would be Yamaha's way of winning its fight for Fernandez. Yeah. But, you know, he did get there, just they were running Aprilia's by then. I think I class those as our big wins. Um, the rest of it was fairly nuts in retrospect. Um, 
Yeah, Aaron Cannett and Ayagura and Top Rack, Razgatlioglu and Joe Roberts have all not had the MotoGP career we expected by now. So we... Yet. Yeah. <laughs> yet. Yeah. Screwed that one a little bit. We we stuck Pedro Acosta into the field a year early, which, you know, I don't think that was a bit bad shout. That was shout. unreasonable. And uh, we thought Jorge Martin would be into his second year in factory Ducati colours by now. Again, yeah, not, not a completely crazy early 22 prediction. But uh, let's see if we can beat that 50% rate tonight. So we're going to start with Ducati and I'm going to roll my big wooden dice of decision making to decide who goes first. So Simon, odd or even? Uh, uh, Even. Sound effects tonight. That was loud. It was loud. It's a three. (laughs) Yeah, it's a three. So uh, Val, you get to go first. You get first pick for who will be the 2025 Ducati lineup. Current lineup, of course, is double champion. We're going to get one of it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. we're going to get one of it. Double champion Peko Banyai is out of contract. Very strong rumours that that will soon change. And yeah, rightly so. His teammate is currently Ennio Bastanini, whose first year in Ducati Red was mm, about... mm, 60% 60% broken, 30% rubbish, and then 10% Sepang. So, Val, who who are you putting on the factory Ducatis for 2025? Well, you know, Peko Bagnar is obviously moving on. I mean, it's not worked at all. It's been a total disaster. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously Peko Bagnar is going to be pick for seat number one. Uh, I think that extension, I'd be a little bit surprised if it isn't done already, if the signature isn't already on there, or at least on yeah. some version of it that is being finalized. Um, and the other seat, I am very unconvincedly, which is not even a word, but whatever, sticking with an Bastianini. So that's a boring start because that's the same lineup. But I think in this particular case, it is also kind of a brave pick yeah. in, a, in a weird way. Okay, Simon, who are you going for for Ducati? I, I have a confession to make. I sat down and wrote out all this beforehand and... I actually agree with Val. I have the same two names. Oh, that's deeply uninspiring um, start. So. It's, it's, it's a really boring start, isn't it? But I think <laughs> I think Peko, Peko is basically a done deal, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, and Bastianini, he finally, his, his testing program this season was the testing program he should have had last season. What we expected from him 12 months ago. And given that we then expected him 12 months ago to also be a title contender when the season started, I think that as long as he can stay uninjured, that there's a real possibility that he'll do enough early on this year to convince Ducati that two Italian riders is the perfect lineup for them. Do I think Bastianini is quicker than Martin necessarily? No, not really. Do I think he's a likelier world champion for Ducati? No, not really. Do I think he's an easier fit? And that Martin is maybe a bit too vocal and a bit too much of a maverick to fit into a lineup with your your already lead bet main rider? Yes, basically, yeah, that's that's what I'm going at. I think Bastini is just an, an easier fit. He is quick. He, you know, on last year's just being an easier fit wouldn't have been enough because last year was a disaster. But he looks more back to his his normal self now and his normal self is a very very good MotoGP rider who who can win a title but is won't necessarily be resigned by Ducati if he is resigned by Ducati to to do so but just to you know to have a very strong second option in case that second option is required to to bring home the silverware and that's something that you wouldn't have you wouldn't have put Bastianini in that role ahead of 2023. You'd have seen him as someone who might destabilize Banyar in the team because he looked so good mm. at Grassini, and we're all yeah. expecting fireworks on that front. 
if the outcome of last year is that at his best, Bastianini isn't quite what Bagnaia has turned into in terms of a, a surefire championship contender year in, year out, then actually that suits Ducati quite well. If Bastianini can just do the Sepang thing more often, lift his lows from last yeah. season, look how he looks in testing right now, that is a lot less hassle for Ducati than throwing in Martin or bringing Mark Marquez into that mix. Yeah. Um, or even Marco Bezzecchi, probably. So I can see that logic. Um, I do... If Bastianini does build on this, though, I can see things getting disruptive this year. You know, I, I don't have doubts, doubts about Banyaya, but he has won these titles on the best bike. He did make slightly heavy weather of some parts of last season. Okay, there were you know, injuries involved and moments of discomfort with the bike, but there's, I haven't, I, I still don't feel we've yet seen Banyaya in a in a true equal machinery, equal chance head to head that will really, really answer those final final question marks so i do think bastianini plus banya still has the potential to be destructively non-ideal for ducati but right now i think you've both made sound logical picks there the bastianini we look like we're getting in 2024 is what ducati needs alongside banya in the hope banya carries on winning titles into the future so we're going to lock in banya and bastianini a boringly unchanged ducati lineup to start with but let's go to KTM next. So Simon's turn to pick first on KTM. Brad Binder, talisman rider, part of the furniture. Jack Miller looked like a great pick for the first sort of third-ish of 2023. And then a little bit of, uh, not an iffy one certainly, but the case for keeping on long-term got weaker as that season went on. Simon, who are you putting at KTM for 2025? I mean, we, we've got a fairly easy start to this because Binder's got a contract. Yes. And as much as KTM are a bit dubious when it comes to write a contract sometimes they're not getting rid of brad bender so we we know brad bender is staying yeah um one of my more confident bets in this whole thing is that his teammate's going to be pedro acosta i think we've already seen enough from the rookie to show that he's going to deliver this year i think jack miller's already been given something of a warning to shape up or ship out by team boss francesco godotti during the team launch um, when he told me he had to basically behave better on track this year, which is yes. not really a surprise given Jack's tendency to either A, fall off or B, burn his tires out and you know go from a podium contention into the back of the field. Um, I, I just, I think Acosta all round is a better bet and that they're going to try and get him into factory colours as soon as possible because while he might be a factory rider of sorts right now on the Tech 3 Gas Gas, He's not a factory writer in that they're not going to capitalize on having him in their colors um, and they're going to want to try and rectify that ASAP. I've got a feeling Val might not be a million miles off that prediction with, with his pick, but let's see. No, yeah, it's the same lineup again. Uh, so that's that's unfortunate, really, for the for the Larry start to this episode because we're two for two. On, on I know I should have gone for I don't know throwing Carol Abraham in early on or yeah. something, but no, okay. We, I think this will be fun to come. I'm confident of this. I think this has come up before on on an earlier episode, but yeah, that's also very much a, a series of events that makes sense to me in my head. I think you know Pedro Costa's had a very assured start to life in MotoGP. He's only going to get better, and I think. The Gas Gas brand, it is important to promote that brand, and that brand is going to benefit from a year of Pedro Acosta. But then KTM will take precedence, I think, in terms of having him. And I, I suspect Pedro Acosta himself will want to go for the Full Beans factory team. As good as Tech 3 is at what Tech 3 does, I think Pedro Acosta will want to be in KTM Orange in 25. And I think he is a strong enough package to where he will get his way. 
if we get that lineup in 2025, Binder and Acosta, who do you think will come out on top at the end of that season? We're going to 2026 now. What's happening here? Yeah, um, why not? If, you, if you're going to pick the same, if you're going to make the same prediction, I'm going to try and <laughs> stoke this agreement in a different way. It's how it works. I've got to see at least one race of Acosta before I have any feeling about that. Because, <laughs> oh, oh, it's terrible. It feels, I. I don't know. I <laughs> this is bad. Simon, it, it, well, well, Val's vacillating. What's your gut feeling? Who would come out on top in that matchup? Acosta's going to win the twenty twenty six World Championship. Uh, there you go. That's a proper. Prof- no one's going to remember my Larry prediction by then. <laughs> <laughs> Acosta is there's so much potential in Acosta. There is so much. Like he is, he is a future world champion. And Brad Binder. I know Brad Bender's super talented and I know he's super fast, but I'm just not convinced still that there's a, a world championship in him in the future because he still tends to do dumb stuff now and then and, and tends to not be there some weekends and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I just, yeah, I think Acosta is the, I know he doesn't like being called the next Mark Marquez, but he's the next Mark Marquez level talent coming up through the championship. I think I think Bender will be ahead. If they are teammates in 25, I would expect Binder to be ahead in terms of point scoring. But I do think Acosta is the likelier world champion, which is not to say that I don't think Binder can do it. I just think Acosta is the, for me, he is the the likelier champion. But we'll, there's there's still a lot of a lot of water that needs to go under the. That's not the saying. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, given given that it's now like two and a half years since Binder's won a race in the dry. I'm not even entirely convinced that he's going to be KTM's next race winner because the cost of shaking shit up and, and winning races this year wouldn't actually surprise me all that much. And I think given Binder's form in the last two seasons, there's as much chance right now as Acosta being that man as there is of him. That is a mad stat that I just did not have in my head that his last dry win was that long ago. I think Binder's kind of deceptive because you see this, this, this glorious racecraft so often and so many races where he's the only person not on a Ducati who's in the mix somewhere. But because of how Ducati's been, you can't really judge. Is is the package not there and he's hauling it as high as he possibly can? Or has K- is he not got that last little bit to make KTM the regular winner it's now capable of? And Jack Miller and uh, Miguel Oliveira, the riders like that have not been great benchmarks to judge Binder by. Which is not to say Binder hasn't been impressive because he really, I've, I've been super impressed by Binder constantly since he came to MotoGP. But it's easy to forget, as I did, that he's not necessarily executed it to the finish in, in that, that sort of way that often. And, and just to clarify that stat, whenever I say it's been two and a half years since KTM's last dry win, that wasn't Binder. Bender's last dry MotoGP win was his third ever race in the start of 2020. Yeah, it's three and a half yes, years for him because it's Oliveira that's been winning since. The sprints Brad Bender won were, I for me, they were MotoGP races. So that I that I don't really feel that one. I mean, they were hard earned. They, I he, mean, he, he won from 15th. Yeah, he, he, he won from 15th in Argentina. He was 15th to start a sprint. Yeah. Sprints aren't races. He wasn't messing about <laughs> with how he won those races. but I know. Also, that uh, Red Bull ring win, this is a totally flawed argument i was going to say yeah it was a wet win but like only two seconds of it were wet and he did it on slick so that's that barely counts <laughs> the white flag was out so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he just didn't see it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, another example of how even though binder might not always get the job 
done consistently. He's been so entertaining since he came to MotoGP. Let's move on to Aprilia. Current lineup there, Alicia Spargaro, who may or may not be retiring. Maverick Vinales, who may or may not get a result on the Sunday at some point. Who can say? Um, Val, your turn to pick first. Uh, who do you see being on the factory Aprilias in 2025? All right, well, time to go into crazy town, finally, and not the yes. one-hit wonder from the 2000s. But... Oh, no, I don't want to hear you say that. Yeah, um, it'll be... Well, I don't want to say it will be. Will is not a word that should apply here, but in my, on the notes I have in, in front of my eyes, and I can't believe I'm about to read them out, and I'm still second-guessing myself. Do it. No, no. Alicia Come Spargo on, and Jorge Martin are my Aprilia lineup. Oh, wow. Okay. I right, go on then. If Jorge Martin is snubbed by Ducati, which I think is quite possible, he becomes the kind of peg that any factory team can fill any hole with. Oh, that didn't sound great, but you know, you know what I mean. Um, Alessio Spargo and Jorge Martin get on famously. It is way too early for Alessio Spargo to step aside. He has been awesome this preseason. I suspect he's going to have some bonkers good races. This season, maybe even the season opener in Qatar can be quite good. Uh, so I don't, I don't expect him to leave at the end of the year because when you hear him talk, there's this feeling that I think we all also share is that he's sort of Benjamin buttoning his MotoGP career. He's getting much better <laughs> every year instead of <laughs> instead of how it should go. He's cl- like an infinitely better rider than he than he was when he joined MotoGP and then he was in 250s and that kind of thing. So I don't think he can go next season. And again, he and Jorge Martin get on famously. Martin, I think there's... I, I'm, I'm not convinced there's room at the end for Honda or Yamaha. And as KTM, we've already discussed. But I think a factory offer a factory offer at Aprilia could come. It wouldn't be maybe the the greatest money ever but it would be a like a point to prove and a real vision for the future and something really romantic something he can get really into uh with Aleish as a teammate i think that could work simon so it, it, this is we're gonna like break some sort of a record here by having val and i agreeing with each other for the longest period of time oh ever in this gosh. podcast yeah and i'm gonna say i agree with his pick for jorge martin wow all right okay uh, I for all the same reasons, I think that he's going to end this year bitter at Ducati, not offering him a factory ride, be desperate to get on a factory bike anywhere, and I think the Aprilia is going to present the the best option for him, given that the two Japanese manufacturers are going to take a bit of time to to close the door, and we've already you know basically said that KTM is a super strong lineup, so I think Aprilia will be his best option. I think Mav- um, Alicia Spagaro will help sort of streamline that move. But I think that he'll be the one replacing Aleish, not joining him, because I think Aleish's role as a development rider is going to be super strong and Aprilia are going to want him to be their test rider for the new bike. I also think that his season this year is not going to be as strong as it looks right now, because that's kind of what Aprilia and Aleish have done for the last few years. Um, they've started the season really strong and then it falls off a cliff about round four. And and that's with Argentina in the calendar early on, which they don't have this year to make themselves look really good. So, yeah, I, I don't think Aleish is going to be there. I think Martin's teammate is going to be Marco Bezzecchi. <laughs> okay, this is getting good. What's your logic? 
Uh, Aprilia want an Italian, first of all. I think that fits. Bezeki has already said that he doesn't want to go to Pramac because, you know, the whole point of VR46 is creating factory riders and there's no point in, in moving from one satellite to Caddy to another. That's the logic he used when he turned it down last season and I think that logic still applies. And then, you know, if, if he's not going to do that, if he desperately wants to be a factory rider, where else is he going to go? The Aprilia is the, the next best fit for him. And I think that Maverick Vignal is, is persistently underperforming. Um, he, you know, how long have we been talking about what he's going to do in the Aprilia? And he does all of that up until like Saturday morning. And then suddenly it's turn four and he's P17 trying to struggle his way through the pack again. Uh, there's only so long that Aprilia are going to humor that on a bike that is really, really good at the minute. Why not get some hot, fresh, passionate Italian talent in and sign Bezecchi? Can Aprilia afford Martin and Bezecchi? Because these are two, these are two quick young guys who could be getting some decent offers. I mean, they're going to be paid less than they would be at, say, Ducati. Well, maybe not at Ducati because the way that they pay their riders and their strange structure, but they're going to be paid less than they are at KTM or Yamaha or Honda, but they're going to be paid more than they are as satellite VR46 riders or... You know, there's going to be more money. Um, Aprilia, no, probably they can't afford to, but Piaggio Group can. Plus, this is also a team that's been, you know, perennially struggling to find sponsorship. They're the only factory team in the grid that doesn't have a title. The only team in the grid that doesn't have a title sponsor. Well, signing those two names is a hell of a lot more exciting than signing Maverick Vinales and Alicia Spagaro again. But you would have to think that there's going to be a bit of sponsorship cash comes with those two names. So from a commercial point of view, it might actually make sense as well, which I, I hadn't thought about until you asked that. Right. So it's my first adjudication, Espargaro or Bezeki getting that second seat at Aprilia. Uh, I'm not just saying this because it's the Laria idea, I promise, but I am going to go with Bezeki because the Espargaro story has to finish at some point. And I think either should finish on a high with him having the season it looks like he might have, and then hopefully, and and I, I want this, I always really want riders to walk away at their peak if possible, which is a really hard thing for them to judge. I wish Valentino Rossi had stopped a good number of years earlier, but given everything Aspargaro has achieved, everything he's achieved with the Prilly, I'd love to see him win three or four races really well this year, get a home win again as well, and then just go right, I'm done. I've achieved so much more than any of you lot ever expected before I got into MotoGP. I've made this project possible. I'll hang around, get some wild cards if the rules ever allow that for a team achieving as much as the Brilliant is. And I'll I'll be a talisman for this project and I'll ride my bicycle around a lot and have a great time. But I'm done. Or this season won't turn out as he's expecting. And actually, that's an even bigger reason than the way to go. Okay, don't keep beating yourself through this. You had a great career. Step away and just be, again carry on being a talisman so on those grounds i'm gonna put marco bezecchi alongside jorge martin as our picks for the 2025 factory aprilia lineup looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Right, so we've done the dominant mark and the two marks most likely to give it something to think about in 2024. Let's go on to the struggling fallen giants, starting with Yamaha. Current lineup at Yamaha, Fabio Quartararo, the man who announces he wants to leave his team in most media debriefs, or at least hints that way. And Alex Rins, freshly arrived from LCR Honda, having somehow won a race on a Honda last season. Who's turn to go first? Simon's turn to go first. Who do you see being at Yamaha in 2025? Oh, so I feel like we, we had so much excitement with Aprilia and now I'm going to go back to being boring and say <laughs> that they're going to keep both the riders. Um, Rins, I th- I think Rins is contracted. Um, I think he went in and I a, think it's just one year. A one, I'm, I'm sure it's a one plus one at least. So so he he's I think he's fairly comfortable there right now. He's settled in well and, and they need a bit of consistency. So I wouldn't even be surprised if he signed up fairly early on if he has a decent start to the year, just as a bit of a buffer against whatever the mad Frenchman on the other side of the garage might do. Although in saying that, I also think that the mad Frenchman on the other side of the garage is going to bitch and moan for the first half of the season about how the bike needs to get better and then sign up to ride the same bike again, having seen it getting a little bit better. Um, He's kind of switched from moaning about how they're not listening to him and not doing what he tells them to moaning that they're not doing what he tells them quick enough but they are doing it. And I think that longer term, that's a, a fairly good sign. Um, he's won his championship. He knows he can win more championships. He knows that I think that he should, that he's probably not a Mark Marquez level talent in that he's not going to go and win a title year one on a satellite Ducati on a year old satellite Ducati. Um, so, the, the best way to win a championship, another championship for Fabio Quattararo, is to stick with a factory bike. With the concessions, with the effort that they're clearly putting into it, Yamaha aren't going to be terrible forever. And uh, I think in the end, despite a lot of protesting, we're just going to see him stay where he is. Lots of nodding from Val. Does that mean same pick for you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, honestly, I do think Quattararo would leave Yamaha if there was an obvious alternative to go to. But the thing for me is, Ducati... Again, let's let's preface all of this by saying Fabio Quartararo is great. And if you're a MotoGP brand and you've decided, ah, actually, I'm going to make a play for Fabio Quartararo, you're smart. This is a smart thing to do. But Yamaha, uh, Ducati doesn't really need him. KTM, probably not the way the wind is blowing for them. Aprilia will probably have a go, I'd imagine, but it's... Are you definitely betting on it over Yamaha? I'm not sure. And I think, and Honda is just, you know, you're exchanging the same sort of thing, but a, but a, a brand that's probably on an even longer recovery timeline and whose bike you don't, you don't know so well. And I think Yamaha 
will put the kind of numbers in front of him in terms of financial compensation that none of the other brands will stump and definitely none of the satellite satellite teams will offer. I think he'll I think he'll resign and he'll make bank doing it because also he's in a position of power in terms of that, you know, he will make it seem like he's signing with a lesser bike because he is. You know, the bike is not as good as Fabio Quartararo is. So Quartararo can ask for a premium on his services to, you know, to sacrifice a few trophies in theory. Although, again, I don't know where he goes if he if he leaves Yamaha. But to, to sacrifice a few trophies to stick around with the Yamaha project. I don't even so much think it'll be competitive. I genuinely, like, I, I'd say it would be financial and nowhere else to really go to to get the same sort of both luxury and long-term stability and money and factory status yeah uh and for the other one i, I don't see why you would make alex Rins a one-year rental i don't think you're gonna get a better rider for your second bike than alex Rins, so he stays yeah they i think you've both made good arguments there i it depends a little bit how Yamaha starts the season. I think this this is the sort of volatile part of the of our bet where Aprilia could be a big player around some of these riders if Yamaha just looks like it's actually going nowhere fast enough. I don't see Rins wanting to jump ship, although I'm sure if he is as impressive on the Yamaha as he was early doors on the LCR Honda, I think he would be of interest to other people. Quartararo's in a weird position. We we got we ended up going down this road a little bit on the recent podcast where we were like where would he actually go that would definitely be better because there's he's not i don't see him going to a satellite bike like you say somewhere else there's, there's a reason we're going to the factories in this podcast first even though a lot of those factories bikes will not be as competitive this coming here as a satellite ducati factory status has that luster for riders a proven world champion stepping down from factory to satellite is such a rarity Marquez is doing it for fairly one-off reasons so yeah, Aprilia, like you say, is the only logical place Quattararo could go, and I don't like you. I don't see him looking at Aprilia with complete confidence that long term it's going to be a better bet if Yamaha can sort itself out, put all its resources into it. So, yeah, there's a lot of that in Fabio Quattararo and Alex Rins sticking around at Yamaha next season. On to the last of our factory teams. Honda has Luca Marini under a more than one year contract. But I'm gonna we can still debate this because contracts have been ripped up very recently. And Joanne Mia going to the last year of his contract at Honda. So uh whose turn to pick first? Is it back to Val? Yeah, back to Val. Who do you see as being on the Hondas next season? Uh I think Luca Marini stays because I think for that contract to be ripped up it would have to be mutual. And I I can't really see that and um the other name is mark marquez so my honda lineup is luca marini and mark marquez uh with the with the caveat that honestly if this crescini ducati season for mark is not so good i completely see the possibility of him just walking away and ending his career there i think that wow. is possible if he's not if he if he sees some fundamental limitations in his game now and realizes that yeah another title might actually be a long shot, then I think, I mean, what what else is he here for? He's not here to snipe occasional wins, I don't think. Maybe this year, that will be okay. But if, if there's something fundamental that will hint that you can't have more than that, then I think that could that could be it. But I don't think that will be the case. And that's why I'm, I think he is returning to, to Honda next year. Instead of, you know, because, again, he needs to make up for the money that he didn't get by (laughs) 
leaving a very lucrative factory contract and a fourth year. And I know what you'll say. You'll say, but he earned enough already over the first three years. But I don't think that's how people's financial planning normally works. <laughs> I think when, when there's some money you're supposed to get and you don't get it, it, it will weigh pretty heavily on you getting it sooner or later in some way, compensating somehow, somewhere down the line, I think will matter. Uh, so yeah, I think I think that's how he compensates by returning to Honda in factory colors and maybe the bike's a bit better by then. Maybe still not the best, but better than what it is right now and more fun to ride. So yeah, Luca Marini and Mark Marquez. Simon, your Honda pick. Oh, a little head shake, promising. No? Yeah, no, it's because I'm really disappointed in this and I agree with Val. Oh. I, I think that what we're going to see from Mark Marquez based on what we've already seen in testing is that, so I, I know that I've been kind of quite a strong feeling about how he could be a title contender this year. And I've I've eased off a bit on that, having seen him in preseason and, and having heard, you know, stories and, and sort of data about what he's performing and, and what he's doing. And listening to himself as well, obviously, which, which everyone heard in the podcast, where he sounds like the most unconvinced person of everyone about what he's going to do next this year. So I I think we're going to see him winning races in the Grissini bike, for sure. We're going to see the Honda looking substantially better this season as they slowly but surely make improvements to it. And we're going to get to the end of the year and Mark Marquez is going to decide, you know what, I, I could... I could win at Saxon Ring, Circuit of the Americas, and Valencia on and Aragon on on a Repsol Honda. If I can do it in a Grissini Ducati that's a year old because their bike looks a bit better and it's not trying to kill the riders every weekend, I might as well go back there and earn twenty million euros doing it instead of earning two hundred and fifty thousand euros at Grissini. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's it's e- either he's going to end this season so strongly that he's going to think I could win on that Honda, even though it's going to get a bit better or he's going to end this season thinking, I don't know if I can win anymore. So I might as well not do that and get paid 10 times as much money. Um, and, and both of those paths leads me back to Honda form. It's interesting how it's only taken those couple of tests for that. This become a, a realistic conversation. A few months ago, we were, all, we were all saying, this relationship's ending, but it's it's ending in a way that sounds like it'll be rekindled eventually. The you know the, the logic you both put forward there isn't necessarily that much about Honda's progress. It's more about Marquez and his own feeling. But Honda's made enough progress already that we we it feels realistic rather than completely bonkers to suggest it could just be a, a one year trip away before he returns home, as it were. And let's remember that this isn't a normal MotoGP season where. We see we're going to see Honda start the season on a bike and then essentially finish the season on a very similar bike because with the concessions that they've got this year, we're, we're hopefully going to see massive changes. You know, there's rumors that they've booked 20 different days of testing at a whole host of circuits already with Stefan Bradle and with Juan Mir and, and Luca Marini because they can use those guys to test and with Johan Zarco and Takanakigami from what it sounds like which is unheard of so they're going to they're, they are making the most of the concessions that they've been given and those concessions are only going to be around, around for a finite amount of time because we're going to see them making really big progress to get to the front again That that's my you know the, the, the big debate for this year wasn't whether or not Honda was going to get better once we found out what the concessions were, it was 
are Honda and Yamaha going to fully exploit these new concessions that they've been offered in order to make the obvious step that's capable with them? And it sounds like they're both going to do that. So, yeah, I, I should say you, you mentioned progress, Matt, and I agree with progress. I, I'm not convinced they've made competitive progress. Like that's the part I'm really not sure about yet. Yeah, I think they've just made progress in terms of that the bike isn't actively loathed by riders anymore. They don't actively <laughs> say awful things or like flip it off. That's a big session. deal after yeah. last year. Yeah, nobody's given it the finger yet, which is yeah. I think that's quite something. That we've people seen. aren't crash. <laughs> yeah, people aren't crashing their brains out every other session, which is I think quite important. I think there might be a good combination there of where. It doesn't actually go like it doesn't go out of attractive concession status even for the start of next year. Like it might be rank C still or something. Rank C isn't rank D, obviously. Rank D is you get all the free testing and stuff, but it's still a bit extra. And it, it could still stay ranked D. <laughs> I think that's also entirely possible given how good the Ducatis are. Uh, so yeah, so I think the, the that part might make it a bit attractive, but it's just you know it's. Like for me, it's the financial compensation and reunion and that kind of stuff, and the bike being nicer and less injuring people. I'm not going to disagree with that as much as the romantic in me would love Marcus to stick around at Grassini a little bit longer and see where that might that might go. Simon, your your other seat is also Luca Marini, right? Because that didn't even <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm assuming it yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I mean, he's contracted and, and I think that, yeah, I think that's fairly locked in. I was going to say, I just don't, I, I think the whole, everything around Marini is too sensible to be breaking contracts, but he has just walked off a Ducati to go and ride a Honda. So, yeah, who knows? Uh, so, our factory lineup is complete. Ducati, Pecco Bagnar, Enier Bastianini still, KTM, Brad Binder joined by Pedro Costa, Aprilia, woohoo, it's Jorge Martin and Marco Bezzecchi. Yamaha still, Fabio Cotteraro, Alex Rins, and Honda brings home Mark Marquez alongside Luca Marini. So now things should start getting messy. We're into satellites, and a lot of satellite bikes can win races. Val's got his hand up. Yeah, it's just, before we go into complete divergence territory, as is the nature with these things, I just like to point yeah. out there's a stereotype that Simon and I disagree all the time. And we went four for five here on identical lineups. And even the one we had split, we still had one rider in common who isn't currently at the team. Yeah, we went nine for ten here. Yeah. We did. We went nine for ten. Yeah. That that is very impressive. So similarly, when I was doing the little tally chart to see how wrong or right we were about when last time we did this, I was like, wow, we were right about so many things. And then I got to the middle half of the field and that tally chart swung. Yeah. And I can see this tally chart going much the same way. So we're going to the satellites. We have riders of the caliber of Jack Miller, Joran Mir, Maverick Vinales, and Alicia Spargaro on the table, having been booted out of their current teams by our, our machinations so far. On to Pramac Ducati, which currently has Jorge Martin and Franco Morbidelli. We, Jorge Martin, we've already placed at Aprilia, so there's at least one newcomer coming into Pramac. Whose turn are we on now? It's Simon's turn to go first. It is. So one side of the garage, I think... It's looking like this is going to make Val really happy. Like it's going to be Firmin Aldegar. Um, Ducati have already kind of hinted that they're really serious about getting his name on a contract very early on. And I think based on the way he finished last season, based on how we've seen him performing, they're the factory that's going to have the opportunity to at the very least sign him, not knowing where they're going to put him, but knowing that they've got six bikes where they could fit him in anywhere. But I think that with with how strong he is and with some of the other performers 
I mean, the fact that we've already said there's going to be a space at Cassini or at, at Pramac, sorry, uh, with, with Martin going elsewhere and with Franco Morbidelli, who I think is going to struggle a bit this season. I think that creates an opportunity and we're going to see Aldegar signed up and on a, on a, you know, confirmed on a GP25 pretty early on this season. On the other side of the garage, I think we're going to see another one of the natural progressions that we've seen in MotoGP in the last few years. We're going to see uh, Grissini Ryder start the season off where he finished off last season, even though he's not a Grissini Ryder anymore. And Fabio Di Giantonio is going to get the nod to step up to Pramac pretty quickly because I think there's every possibility that he's going to win a few races early on in the season. I think he's going to be looking Enea Bastianini-esque by the time we get four or five rounds in. And they're gonna they're gonna give him the nod to step up because partly because he really deserves it, and partly because I think maybe a few other Ducati riders who would get the move before him, like Marco Bazzecchi, don't really want it. So Val, why did you throw your hands over your face during that? Is that in extreme agreement? Well, we're we're five for six now, not uh, four for five. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, but we're five of six because I I did have to make a last minute change. So I'll, I'll walk us through that. But before that, let's start okay. with let's start with Fermin Aldeguer, who I also expect on the Pramac because of a twofold reason. Reason number one is it sounds like Ducati's okay to offer that, and sound Ducati sounds just very excited about having Fermin and just the way. The way Davide Tardossi spoke to you, Simon, about it, it just sounds like they're just waiting for his yes. Yeah. So they're they're ready to have him in the camp. They just need him to say yes. And on Aldeguer's side, how do you say no to, to Pramac Ducati, right, for your MotoGP graduation? Who are the two guys who most recently graduated to MotoGP with Pramac Ducati? Pekka Banyaya, Jorge Martin. Yeah, absolutely. Good company. It works out. It's a, it's a good deal. Even though Pekka Banyaya had actually, at Pramac, he wasn't maybe the best, but it still got him where he needed to be. Uh, if, if if that's on the table for Femen and Adeguer, he should have accepted that yesterday. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he has in some way, shape or form. Uh, I expect him there in, in 2025, I think. Now, the other seat was for me originally, the name I had there, but as 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 you've told us, Matt, once those names are off the table higher up, yeah, then you need to make adjustments on the fly, which I quickly did very panic panically. That's not a word. <laughs> um, Marco Bezzecchi was going to be the name I had there because I think if Di Gian Antonio is a bigger problem for him this season at the start of the year than we maybe expected, then that's going to dent his factory chances. But he'll also see how good the 2024 Ducatis are. So maybe there'll be part of him that's like, okay, maybe this time I should try to take the works back Ducati. <laughs> I'll go to them again and see if 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 maybe there's a bit of interest to to do that deal again. But since we've removed Bateki from the equation, Fabio Di Antonio goes to Pramac in, in my book. I think the VR46 team, even though he looks like a very shrewd signing, I think they'll be quite interested in going back to an academy sort of structure potentially in terms of its signings. And I think Dijan Antonio is gelling so well with with the Ducatis suddenly now that there might be a bit of interest to just, you know, keep progressing him up the ladder and seeing seeing what his actual ceiling is here. The other element as well is like 
we talked about the, the luster factory seats have for riders and we're getting to this point where and okay this is just not in our in our game theory here but i think it's realistic in real life as well a team like pramac which fought very seriously for the riders title won the team's title because it's not a factory factory it's it's not in some ways a prime destination for people. That's how you end up with Franco Morbidelli there. It's a twofold thing of like, okay, it's got the top spec bikes, but Bozeki turns it down because he's more comfortable somewhere else, doesn't see it as enough of a jump. Other riders wouldn't go there because they'd see it as a step down, even though it's a bike that some guy nearly won the title with last year. And it ends up not scrabbling for riders as such, but with people sort of failing upwards into it. I don't think Digi will be doing that, but certainly um, if this comes to pass... It is another sign of the, the riders who riders who could win a title of Pramac Ducati choosing to go to a or stay with a less competitive factory instead. I think that the lessons that that Digantonio learned in the last three months of last year means that he doesn't have the ego to turn down good rides. Yeah, I think the fact that he went into essentially into the last round of the championship, not really knowing where he was going to be next season means that you know he's he's lost any pretensions he might have had about what he's going to do in the future and where he's going to end up so if he's offered a factory spec bike he is not going to be the person in this grid that's going to be precious about the fact that it's not in the factory team he's just going to jump on it and see how fast he can go i i just i don't think that for instance you know fabio carcerara would be a very interesting idea on pramac ducati i think that would kick so much butt that would be the best thing ever But I don't think financially that quite works or in terms of prestige or in terms of everything. I don't, I, I'm not sure there will be the desire from all the sides involved to make something like that happen. Um, Jack Miller, I don't think would be desperate to return. Uh, doesn't feel like a very Maverick Vinales move to me, even though, again, I'd, I'd love to see something like that. I'd be really interested in, in what that looks like. Um, Franco Morbidelli staying, I think, is entirely possible, but I am... I am concerned in the, about the situation that he finds himself in to start this season, and things will move very fast. Uh, just, I, I, I fear a bit for how that will influence him on the bike and him working through his progressions with the Ducati while all the contractual madness is going on. So yeah, Digi is almost. I don't want to say he's like like the last option remaining because that's not on current form. That's not the case. He's been very, very convincing. But he, you know, he he needs to do more still for me to to for the Pramac thing to fully make sense in my head. But I just I, I'm looking through the options, and that's that's the one that works in my my tiny puny brain. On to Digia's current team in real life, VR46 Ducati. Now you you are allowed to switch manufacturers in this if you want to as well, because you know this is a possibility here. Uh, currently, Fabio Giantonio and Marco Pazecchi, we've moved both of those on already. Bez to Aprilia, Digia to Pramac. Val, your turn to go first. Who do you see landing at VR46? Uh, yeah, so my VR46 lineup is now, because originally the Giannitoni was going to stay, but we've we've ruined all of that, and I'm having to, to change things on the fly. But to be fair, this one also makes sense to me. Uh, Franco Morbidelli and Celestino Vietti mm-hmm. is my VR46 lineup, and I think, for me, that doesn't really so much depend on the bike. Maybe Morbidelli would hesitate about returning to a Yamaha M1, but... Oh, so you you are making the manufacturer switch happen here as well? 
Well, yeah, if they, if they go to Yamaha, then maybe. If they stay at Ducati, then we don't know what he's like on a Ducati. We've not seen Franco Morbidelli in a Ducati meaningfully, apart from Valencia, where no. everybody else was looking on somebody else at Ducati. <laughs> so nobody, poor Franco, nobody really noticed what was going on there with all, with all due respect. Also, he didn't speak to the media, so that's partly on him and on his team or something like that. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, I think just, I think Vietti having the, io moto 2 ride i think he's i think he's a better moto 2 rider than we felt i think we sort of have some of us and maybe also me partly maybe simon partly maybe everybody partly has buyer's remorse in seeing him you know really shoot out of the blocks a couple of years ago and then his title challenge just peter out completely and him seeming really unable to recapture that sort of form i've always felt that form was a little bit deceptive but it's still you know the results are there for everybody to be seen but i think he's a good enough rider to where with a with an io prepared bike he's gonna have a good moto 2 season and i think uh, the rossi camp vr46 and you know the, the management and the team is invested enough and interested enough in seeing him in moto gp sooner or later they just need like a good season to justify it so I do see Vietti there, and for Morbidelli, I think they'll just... If he wants to stay in MotoGP, I think they will move heaven and earth to make that happen. And they won't even have to try too hard, I think. A, a seat will be there. I'm glad we finally found something to disagree on. Yay! Good. Um, <laughs> I, I, I agree on half of it. I agree that Celestino Vietti is the obvious choice for VR46 to move up. Um, I think that that is the sort of the natural progression. It's the only really progression left in terms of, of the VR46 Academy. Um, and he, he makes sense, um, especially if he has a decent Moto2 season, which people tend to have whenever they're on an IO KTM. That, that tends to be the thing that takes Moto2 riders who are insanely fast but love to crash their brains out and turns them into champions. Yeah. So I, I think Vieri is, a, is in a really good position to go into the 24 season, looking at the 25 MotoGP season, makes a lot of sense. The other side of the garage uh, is the lariest prediction I'm going to make in this entire thing. And Val is going to really strongly disagree with me on it. <laughs> I'm going to say that VR46's new partner, Yamaha, are instead going to want to see someone like Ayumi Sasaki who is now in their VR46 feeder academy, in their Moto2 team. Yamaha's VR46 ran Yamaha-backed Moto2 team. I think there's a real Dorna desire to always have a bit of Japanese talent in this grid. I think that Sasaki has proven in Moto2 that he, in Moto3 that he's a, a fairly level head um, and is capable of riding bigger machinery. And I think that Yamaha picking him means that they obviously see a bit of something in him. Um, it would be a bit of new blood come into the championship. It would shake things up again. I have to admit, I originally had Morbidelli in this in this spot as well until I kind of thought about it again. And I think that the last thing that Yamaha is going to want is another Franco Morbidelli back on their bike. I think that his past history with the factory kind of rules him out. Um, beyond the fact that we're you know we don't know what we're going to get from the season. We don't know if he's fixed. We don't know if he's you know, going to come back to be the old Franco Morbidelli that we all love to see go super fast, or if he's going to be the, the you know, the one of the past few seasons that was a bit, la bit lackluster. So, yeah, um, with all that in mind, I, I am going with the 
controversial and unusual Vietti Sasaki combo, knowing that uh, knowing that Val's going to disagree with me. Well, I have to rule on this one, and I, I'm going to take it to a sort of semi recount because I think I need to be swung on the certainty of a manufacturer switch here. Because to me, I, I, that Yamaha point with Morbidelli and history. Well, though he still, you know, was runner for the championship for on a Yamaha not that long ago, but his situation has changed a fair bit since then. I my initial thought here was I don't see VR forty six letting Morbidelli drop out without one last chance. Yeah. Given how this season has started for him in particular, you know, it's he we we, we might be in a position where we already know his his twenty twenty four is not going to be a realistic one because he's missed all of the testing. He's got another injury to recover from. I just think the VR46 organization will want to take care of one of its own a little bit better than that if it has a space on the bike. I, the Sasaki argument, I totally see the logic for in terms of that existing relationship and kind of the purpose of VR46 in developing talent. But maybe that's one year further down the line when Morbidelli turns out he doesn't work out. But that Yamaha thing is a stumbling block. Equally, like I say, he was he was good before the, before the original knee injury. Val, you're keen to come in. Yeah, I'm just... If if VR forty six does does get the Yamaha gig, I'm still you know given that it it doesn't have to agree to being Yamaha satellite team. I don't, I'm not sure Yamaha will be in a position where it can really strong arm VR forty six too much over who it picks. Although you know again, there's financial considerations. You can make things happen when you need to make them happen, and it's it's all fine. But although. Keeping Franco Morbidelli on the grid, I think, will be a VR46 very sensitive sort of important point of consideration and, you know, the, the sort of thing that can make or break relationships with manufacturers. You know, it's, it's a rider that means so much to, to the program. Um, I just, for me, Sasaki, you know, we've, we've disagreed on, on Sasaki's ultimate ceiling, Simon, but it's more just um, there are riders for whom going into Moto2, you you don't need to finish in the top five to then immediately go to MotoGP. Like, Jean Mir didn't, and it was fine. And there were there were places that were still willing to offer him MotoGP seat right away. Even a factory seat. Worked out pretty well. I think Sasaki's not quite in that place. So, and I don't think he'll finish in the top five this season. So, if, if he does get there, I just, I don't see him being a one and done in, in Moto2. So, for me, it's 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 a step too early, even if Yamaha clearly does see something interesting there. I, I mean, I would feel much more comfortable making this prediction if Sasaki already had a year in Moto2 done. Like, there's there's yeah. no question in that. And that's what makes it super Larry for me. Um, I think that the VR46 to Yamaha thing is looking fairly, like from what I've heard, it's, it's looking like it's coming together pretty quickly. Yamaha are clearly in a position where they desperately want a factory team, a satellite team again, and where, you know, for the first time in a long time, they're really willing to invest heavily to get one. But with that investment, it's going to mean that, that some team's going to save a load of money in terms of, you know, what they have to pay to have their bikes, but they're also going to lose a bit of control as well. And that's going to mean that, that Yamaha have a say over the rider lineup. If, if I'm honest, if I see Franco Morbidelli back in a Yamaha, in the near future, then it's as Jonathan Ray's replacement at their factory world superbike team, which which is <laughs> no, it's it's genuinely that's a move that I could see Morbidelli making and enjoying and being fast and winning at again because we know how talented he is. That that would be like that would be a good signing for superbikes. It would be a good signing for Yamaha. 
I think it would be a relatively easy sell within VR46 because they'd be keeping him as a world championship rider. You know, imagine the imagine the buzz whenever uh, VR46 somehow managed to win both MotoGP and World Superbike Championships in the same season. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of excitement around that, right? So, I I think for that for those reasons that kind of tips tips the odds against Morbidelli and maybe not necessarily for Sasaki, but nonetheless against Morbidelli. And I will I will admit there are other names who I equally considered for this position who people are going to be surprised that don't have a seat in my fictional grid as we go further down it who also potentially could drop in there i am going to stick with Morbidelli for this one on the and my grounds here is i think I, I see your point about yamaha potentially getting control and being able to do a financial deal that helps that but at the same time right now yamaha needs a satellite team it really really needs one yamaha could also do the pr boost of getting valentino rossi back in its fold those are those two elements are big deals for Yamaha. If Valentino Rossi and his people are saying, we need to give this protege of ours who's just been repeatedly injured for a couple of seasons. Okay, he was rubbish on your bike last time, but he's just had a concussion-wrecked season that happened before it even began. We, if you're if we're coming with you, we get, we're bringing this guy with us. We want to give him one more chance in MotoGP. I, I think that's hard to turn down when when Yamaha needs VR46 that much. So I am locking Morbidelli in, and we're going on to our last... Ducati satellite, which is currently the Marquez brothers, Grassini, Mark, and Alex. But we have moved Mark back to Honda already. So, who is Alex Marquez still at Grassini? Who joins him? Simon, you have first pick. Uh, Alex Marquez stays. I think he's going to do well for them this year. Maybe not exceptional, but he's going to do what they need and win a few races and be in the mix at a few races and look pretty good doing it. And you know has brought a bit of sponsorship money with them. Um, there's loads of reasons why I think Alex Marquez makes a pretty safe, safe, sensible bet for Grassini. I think on the other side of the garage, with with Mark Marquez being deposed from or Mark Marquez leaving and deposing Juan Mir at a Repsol Honda, I think Juan Mir is the perfect sign-in to reunite with Frankie Carcetti and be a bit of a Larry underdog and win a few races in 2025. For Grassini. I think that that would be a really sensible, smart fit. I can see this being more agreement, but where's Val going to go? It was basically more agreement. In the last second, I just went mad and I changed something. I mentioned this pre-recording, oh, okay, so you'll great. see where this is going. But honestly, Matt, you can just pencil in the mirror. I'm not going to have a good argument here. Uh, my, <laughs> my Grassini Ducati lineup is Alex Marquez and Maverick Vinales. And <laughs> I, go on. It would rule. My <laughs> argument is it would kick butt. It would, I, I don't know. I'm trying not to go into profanities here. I'd love for this to happen. I'd, I'd watch the absolute hell of it out of it. And I think Maverick Vinales, I'm not even sure that, you know, we when when, when Simon spoke about him leaving Aprilia, it was more Maverick Vinales getting booted out. I'm not sure. I think it could, like, if, if it does come to a divorce i think it'll be like a mutual thing where vinales just hits himself against the brick wall of that particular bike too much and decides that he can make it work elsewhere in non-factory status at a different bike that he will feel may suit him better uh without all the headaches of factory rider status development just you know a bike that's proven that works in everybody's hands that he just doesn't have to worry about anything but just riding it quick. 
I mean, Grishini Ducati is the the seat for that, I think. And where if 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 Mark does leave them after one season, which I think is entirely possible, I think as far as a replacement goes, Maverick Vinales is no Mark Marquez, but Maverick Vinales would be another luxury-ish signing for a for a team at. I don't know. I, I shouldn't say that about Grishini anymore, but for a. I shouldn't say that. But Maverick Vinales would sort of be in that same vein of let's go for something serious here. Let's hit home runs. Let's do something, something crazy and something mega. Uh, yeah, Alex Marquez is, is in the other seat. Congratulations, Alex Marquez. I, as much as I kind of mock Vinales for not actually achieving much beyond practice sessions on this podcast, I really do believe in Vinales as a talent. And I think that's why I do mock him because it's so frustrating that this guy who looked so good at so many points just doesn't deliver on it and so a big part of me Val would love to agree with you and go yeah just stick him on a well-sorted Ducati and watch him actually fly and actually do it on a Sunday I remember 10 years ago when we were both in in very different parts of our uh, journalism careers and I think as an intern or something I floated the idea of Maverick Pinales in a Ducati and that sounded like the best thing at the time we both were super <laughs> excited about that idea yeah. Um, yeah this is sort of part inspired by that by that yeah. memory of a younger happier Val I shouldn't say that's depressing what? of a younger Val um, <laughs> fewer worries uh, different geographical location okay anyway um, yeah that's that's it. It's a, it's a nostalgic mental pick. Go with Joan Mir. That's the normal person's uh, decision here. As much as like life has changed in that time for everybody, it's also a period in which Maverick Niales has failed to live up to all that potentially he was showing when he was riding around Paris Hilton's bike in in junior categories. So I... he's won like eight races or what, eight or nine. Yeah, That's but this so guy should have, this, right. this guy should have been a champion. If he if he'd lived up to the best bits of what he was promising before he got to Yamaha, if he'd lived up to what he did when he stepped on that Yamaha for that first race in 2017 and just looked straight away like, yeah, you were the obvious pick to replace Jorge Lorenzo, you're going to make this work. Just hasn't happened enough since then. And I think if you're a team, if you're a team in Grassini's position, a team that could sign a Mark Marquez right now, okay, Mir, there's so much that's a question mark about Mir. That first year at Honda was just a mess but he was on the big orange mess Suzuki he won a title either side of that there's lots that was promising but can you judge it as is he definitely everything that that title suggested you still don't really know but there's more that Mir's delivered than than Vinales has delivered over the over these years Mir has made a world championship happen Vinales hasn't Mir hasn't been around nearly as long as Vinales really either I, I think you look if you're weighing up those two I would say Mir is a safer bet. So on those grounds, I'm going to lock him in at Grassini, which means our satellite Ducati lineup, well, actually it might not be satellite Ducati lineup. Our current Ducati satellite team lineup is Pramac, is Fermin Eldegar and Fabio Di Antonio, VR46, maybe Yamaha, is Celestino Vietti and Franco Morbidelli, and Grassini Ducati is Alex Marquez and Joanne Mir. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply.
Okay, three teams, six seats left. We're on to Tech 3 Gas Gas, currently home of Pedro Acosta and Augusto Fernandez, but we have already moved Pedro Acosta on. And Augusto Fernandez has a very shaky start to 2024. So who on earth are you two going to put uh, in this team for next season? Right, I've lost track again of who goes first this time. Um, that should be me, yes. Is it Val? Yes, it should be me. <laughs> it's Val. It's um, Val, yeah. Val, who are you putting so on Tech 3 Gas Gas have... I very unconvincingly have Augusto Fernandez sticking around, which is a, it's not the easiest thing to justify given I have written a thing about how Tech 3 expects him to score 200 points this, this season. He has extremely not looked like a 200 points rider in preseason testing. He has looked rough. Uh, I think that's fair to say. I don't, I don't think that's unduly harsh. I don't think he would disagree with that. But I think he's talented enough uh, rider and I think he's an affable enough rider to where the team will be really keen to help him and KTM will be really keen to help him and I just think KTM and Gas Gas so the Pure Mobility Group are a bit tired of ditching riders and being seen like the, the program that ditches riders so I think he gets a one year reprieve there and in the other ride I think uh, Jack Miller takes the paycheck and goes to represent uh, Gas Gas for a bit in Gas Gas Red. Um, he because he's he's proven himself to be a, a very valuable asset to to KTM for everything that's you know being said about how he doesn't necessarily deliver on Sundays in the way that you would like him to. How he you know there's you know the the race based longevity isn't necessarily there and all of the all of the concerns that you may have, which I think are overstated sometimes, but are are clearly there. I think he's been important in the Ducatification of KTM in in many ways. I think he's a good development rider to have. I think he's a, a good part of the program to have. I think Ducati benefited from having him around for a bit and KTM slash Gas Gas will be very keen to do the same. And the question for me is only there, if I do think that Acosta will be promoted ahead of him, would Miller accept the demotion like Miguel Oliveira did not earlier but I think he would because I you know he's he's fought paycheck to paycheck so much in in his MotoGP career I think the pay will still be pretty great I think the bike will still be good I think the team will be you know a good team I don't think he'll get factory offers elsewhere if he does drop out of KTM so this this might end up the best route to staying in MotoGP makes sense to me and I think it, it will eventually make sense to him even if, if it will sting but again that's all assuming that Acosta does replace him which is you know obviously a hell of an assumption to make at this point but that's that's what we're doing here right so so it makes sense to all those people does it make sense to Simon I think that the Augusto Fernandez side of it does I think that um he's shown enough potential that even after a bit of a rocky start to 2024 through testing there's going to be a bit of good form comes there. They're going to want a bit of consistency and continuity going forward. Um, I think that he's a fairly fairly steady set of hands to kind of quasi-lead the, the gas-gas operation. I think on the other side of the garage, they're potentially going to talk to Jack Miller, say that they're interested in him, um, look like they're going to be interested in him. And then in Moto2, 
the fiery, interesting KTM-backed Denis Onk, who's going to win a couple of races, and KTM are going to realize that they could do with a new rider and a young rider like they always do, and immediately sack off any opportunity Miller has and sign Onku. <laughs> I, I do not trust KTM to change their ways. They're always looking at the next thing. And I think that, that given how fast Onku was on a Moto3 bike and given the size that he's grown to very quickly, I think he's going to make a fairly seamless adoption to, to Moto2 and be really quick. And while, you know, while I put Sasaki in as a bit of a, a Moto2 rookie who has a very outside possibility of going to MotoGP, I think that Onku is a lot more realistic, um, both in the short term and in the longer term for being a MotoGP rider because of his speed, because of his talent, because of his, of how interesting he is, because he, he is a fiery character and that's going to translate well. And because of his nationality, you know, I think um, there is a, there's a, a strong argument for having more diverse riders in this grid. And I think that given how crazy Turkey are for MotoGP, um, for motorbike racing, how crazy they are for Top Rock Rats at Leoglu and how crazy they were for Keenan Soflogu before him. Yeah, I think Diniz fits this role for me. Val, I'm going to let you give your take on that to see if you persuade me either way because this is where my own rules for this game fall down a little bit because I would probably I, I could be easily persuaded, persuaded on the Onku thing but I'd be more likely to keep Jack Miller in the fold alongside him than Fernandez. but where where do you go Val with where, where's your thought on on Onku first of all is Simon Simon's rating of him realistic Onku's really good but I I think for Onku Maybe to a lesser extent, but still to an extent, I think it's just the, the same argument as I had for Sasaki is I think you would need a top five first season in Moto2. And I I don't really, I don't really, I shouldn't say I don't really see that happening, but it's, I think it is far from a given, let's put it that way. And even if he does get a top five season in, in Moto2, again, I think just there will be a, a certain desire at KTM to to keep the lineup as, as much as they can and to keep all the riders and their family that they have there. And I think Jack Miller is, is enough of an asset to allow them to wait a bit on Onku. Even if Onku impress, impresses right away in Moto2, which he very well might, I think it's supposed to suit him better than Moto3. And in Moto3, he was a, a very eye-catching rider. It's a pretty good qualifier, which is always indicative of something. I think he just they'll wait a bit on him and maybe line him up to replace Augusto Fernandez down the line. Don't know that that's that's how I would I would see it. They also do have other potential options in that KTM tree. There's yeah, every year a new rider can emerge. What if Isan Guevara sorts himself out? That'll be interesting. What if something else happens? Lots of possibilities there. So maybe that also diluted it for me a bit that there's no Onko is probably the closest, but there's no like clear obvious pick that I would go to shelve either Augusto Fernandez or Jack Miller in my eyes yeah I'm I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Val for this one because I don't think there's right now a convincing enough case to boot Jack Miller four-time race winner 20 million time podium finisher twice in the top five in the championship with Ducati pretty recently to boot him off the grid in favor of Onku right now I could see that argument for Fernandez if Fernandez's testing form carries into this season but I wrote the rules and you both went for Fernandez, so he stays, Miller stays as well. Um, and that, that means I kind of believe KTM saying that they want to keep it all the same rider lineup, which I also don't. But I think I'm thinking <laughs> of that in terms of 
would they keep all four of these guys if they could pitch for Mark Marquez? But you've also made convincing cases for where Marquez is more likely to end up on a Honda. Also, when you've got a Costa and Bender in your lineup, there's a degree of uh, whatever about the other bikes. You know you've got someone who can do very well for you. You know you've probably got the next big thing. You can, yeah. <laughs> the other guys matter less. On to Trackhouse Aprilia, which right now is Miguel Oliveira and Raul Fernandez, sometime rising KTM star, of course. Um, Simon, your turn here first. Who are you putting on the Trackhouse bikes next season? So I've I've just hastily rewritten mine because <laughs> my backup option there was actually um, Jack Miller because I think Larry, English speaking, I think he'd have been a, a bit of a good left field pick for them. Yeah. Alongside Raul Fernandez, who I think that Aprilia are going to push really hard to keep because they they see a lot of strength in him. They see potential. I mean, we've seen the potential since this season has started. So I think that that's a, that's a fairly obvious one for me to keep. Um, in the absence of Miller and not being allowed to pick him, um, I'm not going to lie, it's a straight... It's a straight shoot between Maverick Vinales and Miguel Oliveira for me. Um, I I think that there's an argument to be made for Oliveira and that it's a bit of consistency. It's who the team knows. But there's also an argument to be made for Vinales in that he's a bigger name for the sport and he's faster, um, you know, both on an Aprilia and in general. I'm going to go with Vinales. Val? Oh. All right. Well, we're we're in a bit of a predicament because now I need to do 40 chess <laughs> and realize how how scientific I want this endeavor to be and whether I want to circumvent Matt's rules or play fully <laughs> by them, uh, ignorant of what the end goal truly is. <laughs> that sounds worrying. All right. Now here, here's what I mean. Uh, let's let's lock Raúl Fernandez into one of them. Okay. All right. So that's I, yeah, that's I agree with that. That makes a lot of yeah. sense to me. I think he's he's a very good fit at this point of his career. I don't think he'll quite make an ironclad case for a works team seat this year, but I think he'll make a case to where Aprilia will see him as, you know, one day down the line, yeah, this could really work. This could be quite interesting. So I think he sticks around. My original pick for the second Trahouse uh, ride was Juan Mir, because that, that's where he ended up. In my situation, I think you know, David abbreviated reunion too, and just generally think there's there's some to be said for that, and it's a good it's a good outlet. Uh, then I was mulling between Maricanales and Miguel Oliveira, and I don't Vinales. I just I don't see him accepting it. Like that's that's really my my problem with it. The same way I do see Jack Miller accepting a demotion because of how his MotoGP career has gone you know, sort of from, from year to year, from paycheck to paycheck. Maverick Vinales uh, has heard too much about how he is a future world champion, I think, to to accept being demoted by Aprilia. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't quite see him there, even though it could it could be quite decent for Trackhouse and Aprilia. So then I was like, well, do I go for Miguel Oliveira? Who I think can be quite good <laughs> on the on the, on the bike still, and I I hope will be good this year, and I think was more impressive last year than it seemed, and that the injuries really obscured that. Or do I just go for Tony Arbolino? <laughs> and I don't know. Tell me what to do. Should I go for? Should I go for Miguel? Let's just go for Miguel Oliveira. I think I think that that makes sense to me. I don't want to be too Larry. God forbid we're too Larry on this predictions podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. So I've got the I've got a straight choice now between Oliveira or Vinales. I'm gonna 
The will he accept it argument is a strong one, but also Vinales is the man who walked out of Yamaha to join Aprilia at a time when Aprilia was not the Aprilia it is right now. It was it was that potentially as a theory in the future, but at that point, Maverick Vinales blowing up his Yamaha to walk out to Aprilia was a completely crazy idea that he was willing to do um, to stay involved in the championship when things were going wrong. If I was team boss picking between Vinales and Oliveira, I would have more faith in the ultimate peaks of Vinales. So I'm going to go with Aprilia offering enough of a sweetness to keep Vinales in the fold at Trackhouse. Same spec bike potentially as the factory team. I think I can see that that happening. So down to LCR Honda. Currently, Johan Zarco, Takanakagami. Val, you have first pick here. Who do you see? there in a year's time well Johan Zarco and Honda and LCR have made it really easy for me by signing a two-year deal that there's no reason in the world to break next year uh, so he's staying and the other seed of course because it's LCR because it's Idemitsu LCR this will never change it'll be year 2080 <laughs> and we'll still be doing this it'll happen every single year Ayagura goes into the other seed <laughs> it's I think that's self-explanatory. I think we're going to end the podcast there. That's, you know, you've heard the Ayagura case many <laughs> times on many a podcast, I suspect. But yeah. Simon? I can't not agree with him. That's uh, the thing. It's boring, yeah. but it's, it's yeah, it's boring. But it's it's boring for a reason. I, we cannot see another year of Takanakagami looking really disappointing. Even as the Honda gets better, they have to change something. And it's it's either Ogura or Sasaki, but I think Ogura is jumping, so he's not going to be in a Calyx next season. He's going to be on a speed-up bike in a different team, in a non-Honda team, that I think is going to give him a little bit more kind of flexibility, freedom on a bike that will perform well at certain circuits, maybe not everywhere, but it'll perform well at certain places. And the end result is going to be that, we're yeah, we're going to see him looking pretty good and and surprising a few people with results in Moto2 leading to making the, the move fairly easy and hopefully he's also going to realise that you can't wait in Moto2 forever for a championship to come along because that's just not how it works No and if the Honda looks a little bit less like it's going to break all his bones instantly that is also more appealing for him to yeah. to accept the move this time Yeah, yeah. exactly So we are done uh, let's go let's go backwards with our grid. LCR Honda will be Johan Zarco and Ayagura. Trackhouse Aprilia will keep Ralph Fernandez and bring in Maverick Vinales, promoted from the factory. Tech 3 Gas Gas keeps Augusto Fernandez and in a similar situation gets Jack Miller demoted from the KTM factory. Grissini Ducati keeps Alex Marquez. Joanne Mir reunites with Frankie Carchetti over there as well. VR46 Ducati all change. Franco Morbidelli comes across from Pramac and it promotes Celestino Vietti. Pramac Ducati all change as well. Fermin Aldega comes in as a rookie and Fabio D'Antonio moves over from VR46. Honda welcomes back Mark Marquez alongside Luca Marini. No change at Yamaha. Still Fabio Quartararo, Alex Rins. Aprilia has the blockbuster signing of Jorge Martin and Marco Mazzecchi. I really want that to happen now. I think that'll be hysterical in all sorts of ways. KTM promotes Pedro Acosta onto its big bike alongside Brad Binder. And Ducati sticks with the tried and tested Peco Bagnaia and Ania Bastianini. Which means Alicia Spargaro, Miguel Oliveira and Takanakagami are booted off our theoretical MotoGP grid. Now, Aspargaro has talked of retirement anyway nakagami has been on thin ice for a long time um where do you see we, we've i think we're fairly convinced that if if 
Aspargo isn't racing a MotoGP. He is very much still part of the Aprilia family. Uh, where do you guys see Oliveira and Nakagami going next if they're if they're off the MotoGP grid? Nakagami will become a Honda test rider and win the next like nine Suzuki eight hours for them. <laughs> yes. And Miguel Oliveira, I think whichever rider on this grid doesn't make whichever other MotoGP rider doesn't make it onto the MotoGP grid, given the, the depth of talent here. Um, in this case, it's Miguel Oliveira, but it could easily be a few other people, or it could have been, um, will go to World Superbikes and will be the hot signing for Ducati to replace Alvaro Batista with. He, he has basically said he's retiring at the end of 24 anyway. Yeah, and when you say whoever doesn't make the MotoGP grid, that, you know, we've kept them in. Um, with some perhaps slightly too conservative adjudicating from me, but Morbidelli, Miller, Vinales are all riders who are fighting for the MotoGP feature to a, a strong degree this season, this season, even though you wouldn't necessarily say that Moto2 is bursting with people who you'd hurry up to MotoGP apart from Aldega. So there, there's riders with, there's, there are riders with a massive point to prove even if some of the big names we've talked about, like Quartararo, end up not actually moving, even if there's not actually a factory Ducati vacancy, there are riders who've really got to prove they should still be on the MotoGP grid in 2025, and it's going to be a, a tense few months for them as this as this all shakes out. Uh, we will return to this prediction in a year's time, obviously, and work out if we can improve on our 50% success rate of our first experiment with this. <laughs> Val's shaking his head. Simon look, is just giggling already. <laughs> I think we might have gone more Larry this time in some ways. But also, I, th- I, I think we might be wrong-footed by some people we think are staying and it doesn't it doesn't happen i think we maybe we maybe look back on this and we go you mean we should have gone more larry that's the sacky thing was <laughs> was spot on or yeah quarteraro is my doubt i'd say i just i, I, I can see him and yamaha bursting and not taking too much i'm just i i'm gonna bomb everyone out to end this podcast uh i just i hope everything we said works out exactly like we said it because that'll mean everybody stayed healthy <laughs> through the season Nobody's leg got snapped in half in a career-ending ending crash because I, you know, every time I think about the season ahead, that's my first concern over any silly season, over any championship battle. Honestly, that's that's the part that like, keeps me awake at night. Uh, so let's hope let's hope we're actually completely one hundred percent correct. That would be that would be awesome from that regard. And also, I'm ready to record the the first line of the of next year's version of this of this podcast, which is that the LCR Honda prediction will be again Ayogura. <laughs> <laughs> Doing it every year, it's a tradition. Well, we said last time Suzuki pulling out wrong footed us, so we're prepared. To, I don't I don't see this lot pulling out right now, but let's be wrong footed by Triumph turning up or something and, and uh, th- getting that slot that they wouldn't give to the to the third KTM team. Right. Thank you for your patience through that, listeners. Feel free to let us know some of your own predictions for the grid. You can email podcasts at the hyphen race.com. Um, we might fit in a few in our next episode. Uh, just, just give our view on some of your suggestions for particular moves or all the entire grid if you want. I think we might have some fun doing that. But next week, we'll be mainly previewing the 2024 season. Well, actually, haven't I think we might make some more Larry predictions in that one as well. We'll be back in your ears in the week's time. Speak to you then. The Athletic.